0: Cold start to 13 and a half million of ARR with no outside funding, growing 100% year over year when we sold the business.
1: That's David Cummings, the co-founder of Pardot, which they sold to ExactTarget for right around $100 million and ExactTarget was eventually bought by Salesforce. Naturally, I wanted to go under the hood and figure out what they did.
0: Day zero of Pardot, the idea was to be a bid management system for Google AdWords to generate leads and then to sell the leads to b2b tech companies and we got six weeks into doing it we were generating some leads we were talking to cmos at different tech companies and it became immediately apparent that they would much rather have the software themselves run campaigns themselves generate their own leads keep them to themselves and be a what is now called a marketing automation If
1: you're like me it's easy to get discouraged when you first go out there you show them your baby and it's not what they want but make sure you don't miss the gold
0: once it became clear that that wasn't going to work and we did have better direction to go it was very easy to settle in for that new direction now with that said the new dir- direction which is full-on marketing automation was one where there was a lot more engineering work to be done the product needed to be much more polished. It needed to be a real product that somebody else could use versus us using it internally.
1: They do six weeks of research, basically with some screenshots. From that feedback, they decide to make a massive pivot that makes them go heads down for about four to five months of building. My question was, did you get LOIs? How much commitment did you get from the people you talked to that they were actually going to buy once you built this new thing over the next four to five months? He didn't get any commitment or any LOIs. He talked about considering that, but this is the reason why their gut decision was right they were tuned in.
0: We had an unfair advantage. I had started a previous software company doing content management software. We had 20 employees, a few million of revenue. That company became the first customer of Pardot. So we had a real operating multi-million dollar software company doing B2B tech for content management. And so having that captive audience that was a sister company to actually use the product made a big difference as well.
1: I love this story because it's so simple in The way that he breaks down their journey of getting to product market fit and of course to the exit. You're going to love it. Boom. Welcome to Sit Down Startup Founder Podcasts. We interview the best founders in the world and ask them what they did in the early days, right before that hockey stick growth moment. I'm your host, Adam O'Donnell, a former founder. I live here in San Francisco and I now work for Zendesk for startups. Zendesk is a customer support platform and we offer six months free to qualified product oriented startups. David, super excited to have you on Sit Down Startup Founder Podcast and hear your experience from building Pardot, which is now part of Salesforce and sell that to Exact Target. Um, it's gonna be really cool to hear your early days, like what you did getting into just knowing how to build out that company and and doing it in in Atlanta and I now know you run Atlanta Tech Village, which so many people have heard of in Atlanta Ventures. But if you would first just kind of share how the Pardot exit for anyone who doesn't know, in terms of maybe any numbers you could share, or just kind of the magnitude of it.
0: Absolutely. So, Pardot, we were in business for five and a half years, bootstrapped in Atlanta, and we sold it to Exact Target for 95.5 million, 85.5 million in stock, and then 10 million. Or sorry, 85 million in cash, 10 million in stock. And then seven months later, salesforce.com bought Exact Target and the stock went up 50 plus percent. So you never know how the world's going to work.
1: That is a really cool story. Was Pardot doing the same thing that it ended up doing when you sold it, when you started the company, or did you make a big pivot?
0: We did. Day zero of Pardot, the idea was to be a bid management system for Google AdWords to generate leads and then to sell the leads to B2B tech companies. And so imagine a bid arbitrage platform generating leads for popular categories like content management software and e-commerce and email marketing and on and on, all the big categories on the B2B tech side. And we got six weeks into doing it, we were generating some leads, we were talking to CMOs at different tech companies, and it became immediately apparent that they would much rather have the software themselves, run the campaigns themselves, generate their own leads, keep them to themselves, and be a what is now called a marketing automation platform. So we pivoted about six weeks in after some rough prototypes and some uh, plenty of customer discovery.
1: I want to definitely learn more about that. And just like zooming out, is there a low moment that you could share that you were in those early days to give some inspiration to those founders who might find themselves in that right now?
0: So we started out with four co-founders, including myself. And after six weeks with our big pivot and learning how each of our styles played out, we ended up with two co-founders. So we lost two co-founders within that just first six weeks period. So it was quite a learning experience, just you know, fast and furious.
1: Did they make that decision on their own? Or was that something that uh, it was clear to the other co-founders that needed to happen?
0: It was mutual. It was clear that we were headed in a different direction than when we had originally started out. And it was clear that you know, from a styles point of view, we were just seeing the opportunity a little bit differently.
1: Yeah. With the equity piece, I mean, I as someone who started a startup, I, I had that happen with a co-founder in the past. And it was not a It was just a hard thing because like, you you become best friends in so many ways and then you have to deal with the equity piece and what you do there. And so I I don't know if there's anything you could share on that, how you handled it.
0: My recommendation is to ensure even with your co-founders that you have at least a four-year vesting period and ideally like a six-month cliff or some period of time. And so in this case, after six weeks, with the other co-founders, there was no remaining equity because we pivoted completely. So it was essentially a fresh start.
1: Got it. But you started out together and then had to just like reset the whole the whole Yeah, mile. basically start over. Yeah. That's interesting. I feel like that's a lot cleaner.
0: <laughs> yeah. It, you know, thankfully we weren't a year or two into it because that can have a a variety of other effects that come from that.
1: Yeah. So that's really cool. So help, I mean, help me with those moments of like the first six weeks you're in, you're doing customer discovery, you're trying, but you actually have a product, it sounds like. You're trying to sell it to them and you're, you're learning something. What were those, is there like a story or a boardroom kind of moment that you could take us into when you had to make that decision to switch out of it? And like what, what data were you bringing to the table? How are you feeling? That kind of stuff.
0: So the reason we could get to market so quickly is we basically threw up some landing pages, manually bought Google AdWords ads, Manually managed that bid management process, drove traffic to the landing pages, and collected leads, right? So it would be, you know, download a buyer's guide for email marketing, download the seven steps to improve your checkout conversion process on an e commerce site. And so we had these generic topics and we could go to market quickly. We started generating leads. We were spending money on Google AdWords. And so stuff was happening. We would generate the lead and we would go to the CMO or the demand gen marketer at Companies in these types of industries. And we'd say, look, you know, John Smith filled out a form on our third party website for email marketing. Do you want to talk to John Smith? And the marketer, because it wasn't the marketer's materials and the marketer wasn't sure about how well it fit their ideal customer profile, they're like, oh, that's cool. Well, think about it. But how did you get that lead? We did, de- we describe our system, some bid management, landing pages. Lead scoring, lead nurturing, these things that we were going to build. And they're like, Ooh, I want that. I want to do that myself for my own organization. I don't want to share leads with somebody else. And so the customer discovery just made it abundantly clear that we were going in the wrong direction, but there was this great direction right nearby.
1: When you made that decision, was it like, was it a feeling of, ah, this is awesome? Or was it a feeling of kind of discouragement and now we kind of have to change it and we'll see how it goes?
0: there was a little bit of the, man, we had set out to do it this one way. We had pitched a bunch of people on it. We had recruited co-founders for it. But once it became clear that that wasn't going to work, and we did have a better direction to go, it was very easy to settle in for that new direction. Now, with that said, the new direction, which is full-on marketing automation, was one where there was a lot more engineering work to be done. The product needed to be much more polished. It needed to be a real product that somebody else could use versus us using it internally. And so there was tons and tons of work to be done when we made that pivot. And so we worked through that. And at that point, it took us a solid four or five months to get a a, a minimum respectable product out the door. We didn't go minimum viable product. We went one level above it. so that minimum respectable product still rough edges but four or five months later, it was doing things and it was usable by our customers, our beta users. And so we were off to the races.
1: Yeah. Did you get commitment on that? Like before you you kind of went heads down after that pivot decision, four to five months to build it. Did you get them to sign anything, LOIs or anything like that? I
0: wish. I wish. No LOIs, no commitment other than that's what we want. We want to do it ourselves. And so in hindsight, it would have been nice to get more commitment you know, reading between the lines and making a, a gut check, we could tell that this was something they were interested in. And so we headed down that path and it, it did ultimately work out, thankfully.
1: I love that. I think the more founders that I talk to, uh, they, they, ha- they just kind of know. I was talking to the deal co-founder and they talk about a massive pivot that they made. And it's like, it's Like I I want it to be very scientific, you know, as I study founders like yourselves. I wanted to like know, boom, you hit this number and then this, and then it was very clear. But it's like a feeling that is it's what I'm hearing.
0: Yes. And and to be clear, we were six weeks into the startup, (laughs) but being six weeks in to make that pivot, we had already been I had personally and and my co-founder Adam Blitzer, we had already been doing online marketing for years prior. So we were online marketers. He had worked at Intercontinental Hotels Group as the eCRM director. So basically, he was sending millions of emails on behalf of Holiday Inn was his prior job. And and then for me, I had another software company doing content management software. And we were running a bunch of online programs and spending lots of money on Google AdWords and doing email marketing. And so I personally had experience leading sales and marketing as the co-founder, CEO of a different startup. And so, We had some ideas before we started Pardot. And so our pivot six weeks into Pardot still built off of our years of previous experience doing these online marketing activities.
1: Thank you. (laughs) So it wasn't
0: cold from nowhere type activity.
1: You were the right team to work on this challenge.
0: Yes. And we could see that here are some things we did before in a B2B context, but the tools were really designed for B2C users now we're really focused on the B2B marketer. Let's start rebuilding from scratch tools like landing page management and email marketing and all these different systems. Let's build it for the B2B marketer. And there's some nuances between what a consumer marketer needs and what a business marketer needs.
1: Absolutely. You talked about the word minimum respectable product. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I Is there... Between you and your co-founder, Adam, was there one who was like, let's get it out right now? And one who's like, no, we got to keep working on it. And maybe you could share any of those, that tension.
0: It wasn't too, there wasn't too much tension there. We were both in the camp of get it out as quickly as possible. With that said, we knew that there were some features that, you know, potential customers wanted. And so it was really a race to get those features out the door. But in terms of being fully baked or partially baked, we were aligned to just push product and start learning as quickly as we could.
1: Man, that's, that sounds really good. It just sounds super simple because I I know that decision for myself and it was just hard to know, like, do we go now or do we, like, how perfect do we need to make it? And I always wanted to make it shinier and better. And-, and the Oh, same like, here. <laughs> absolutely. I mean?
0: Yeah. And so uh, thankfully we just pushed it out to the market, which really doesn't mean much. It's not like we had a whole- bunch of users ready to go. And so once we pushed out to the market, which was getting beta users, getting the early adopter types, it was just rapid iteration from there.
1: That's interesting. Well, I mean, can we zoom into that? Like what did push out actually mean? Was it like, we're doing this launch, we got three more weeks and you're announcing it to everyone? Or was it just kind of like a really soft, like, let's just see how it goes?
0: So we had an unfair advantage, which was I had started a previous software company doing content management software. We had 20 employees, a few million of revenue, and that company became the first customer of Pardot. So we had a real operating multi-million dollar software company doing B2B tech for content management. Think of it like WordPress, but for mid-market. And so from day zero, we were building the Pardot software to serve the needs of the mid-market content management software company. And so having that captive audience that was a sister company to actually use the product made a big difference as well.
1: I'm sure people listening like, oh my gosh, what a huge unfair advantage. And I'm sure it is. But I think there's a lot of stories where, where you're building it for yourself and you end up building it for just a market of one instead of making it scalable. So there's got to be some learnings that we can have in that because that's not that easy uh, to make sure that the things that are important for that company were also important for a massive scale scalable opportunity.
0: Absolutely. So from day one, we did not want it to be just for the content management software company. So we were very diligent about bringing on beta users and asking friendlies to get involved and cold calling to bring on prospective, you know, users of the product. And so it was from day zero, a goal to have it be, you know, broadly, widely used. And so that was part of the, part of the experience.
1: And so you solve for that by having other people besides that company, your sister company using it. That's right. Yeah. That's interesting. Is there any big insights on like your strategy on like the first three months of, having this minimum respectable product out in the world like how fast were you iterating how did you get the feedback what was that like
0: so as soon as we had that minimum respectable product done and this was about september of 2007 we brought on basically a, a an SDR BDR cold caller with the hope that that person would grow over time and become an account executive and onward and so we recruited a gentleman named Derek Grant And so found him on Craigslist, we had a common hometown, and it was just a phenomenal, phenomenal connection. And so brought him on, he cold called, he closed deals. It was, you know, if you could wave a magic wand and just find the perfect person that can start from zero revenue and scale to tens of millions of revenue and scale within the organization, from doer to player coach, to coach, to manager, to leader, it was just um, an unbelievably lucky, successful hire for us.
1: That's a story right there. <laughs> yes.
0: And I I know and I've experienced the challenges of trying to find that first sales rep. And we got extremely lucky and it worked out great.
1: That's amazing. Well, thank you for sharing those those details. Like zooming out for a second. If you had to do something differently, what would that be just in your whole Pardot journey?
0: as the business grew and it was clear that we were doing well, growing fast, signing customers, you know, millions of dollars of recurring revenue. A few of the things that we learned, one, we tried to go to Europe too early. So we opened an office in London, we hired a team, and we didn't have the resources to do it well. And we didn't really commit to it the way that I've seen other startups do. And so one lesson learned was going to Europe too early. In hindsight, we would have waited until we could have allocated maybe $5 million worth of costs over 24 months or 18 months or some much more substantial amount of money. Another lesson learned in hindsight, and obviously there's the SaaS world today and the metrics and the understanding of SaaS is a thousand times better than it was 15 years ago. But another lesson learned was that we were in a amazing market with the right product at the right time. And our metrics were spectacular, our cost to customer acquisition relative to lifetime value, our renewal rates, just everything that you would look for in a SaaS business. And so in hindsight, we had amazing metrics and there was a lot more opportunity to invest in the business, right? We bootstrapped, we sold the business without raising money. And so it was clear that there was an amazing opportunity ahead.
1: That is an amazing thing that one of the biggest products at, at Salesforce currently was started out of something that was bootstrapped. <laughs> right. Really we, we
0: bootstrapped to about $13.5 million in ARR from cold start in 07 to selling it in 2012. So we we're in business for five and a half years. So cold start to $13.5 million of ARR with no outside funding. Growing 100% year over year when we sold the business. And so today as part of Salesforce.com, the Pardot business unit, it has a new name now, but as a standalone product, it does 600 million of ARR.
1: What a story. What a story. Well, I mean, David, this is amazing. Just in one of the final questions is just around expansion and retention. What's the biggest piece of advice you would give a founder on that motion right now?
0: So obviously times are changing quickly and they've already changed. And one of the challenges with SaaS is that when times are good and companies are hiring people, the more seats you can sell, the more subscriptions. And the inverse occurs as well. When companies are laying off employees, even though you're providing a great solution, great product, they often downsize. And and so shrinking and lower renewal rates is a real challenge. And so the best thing that I can offer up to the entrepreneurs is stay as close to the customer as they can, right? As the company grows and if you raise lots of money, or if you do, you know, a more broad set of functions for users, it's easier to not stay as close to the customer. And now, in a time of mild retrenchment and slowing of the economy, my recommendation is to get as close to the customer as you can. Do the customer calls, still do the customer meetings, still get out there and figure out what they are looking for and how you can deliver it to them. So Mm -hmm. that'd be my main piece of advice right now. Stay close to the customer.
1: That's so good. I was talking to the CEO of Pilot, uh, their unicorn, and he was sharing how he still blocks out two hours of his calendar each week. And, and sometimes it's more than that, where he has a calendar link. I know you're an investor in Calendly. I use mm-hmm. Calendly, but they basically new onboarded customers can select a calendar link to just talk with him. Wonderful. A unicorn founder. I was like, great. That's
0: so good. Yeah. And so human nature, it's, it's easy to spend time where you enjoy spending time. So if you like writing code, or you like making sales calls, or you like fundraising. And so it's really important for entrepreneurs, play to your strength, but also stay close to the customer.
1: Um, David, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for your time.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me
1: thank you for listening if you want to learn more about zendesk for startups check out our website zendesk.com startups also we're always looking to improve so don't hesitate to email me with any feedback on how we can ask better questions guests to target or anything else so we can do to better help you as a founder my email is adam.odonnell at zendesk.com